Lisboa, Bruxelas, Varsóvia. Europe is us with Dino. Europe is us, but who are we? Stay with us and you'll find out. I'm Dino, a journalist based in Slovenia, and I'm welcoming you all to episode number 40 of the Europe is Us podcast, a podcast made by youth for youth. Today's topic, lost in transition. In 2022, 11.7% of 15 to 29-year-olds in the EU were neither in employment nor in education and training. The proportion of 15 to 29-year-olds in the EU in this situation ranged from 4.2% in the Netherlands to 19.8% in Romania, according to Eurostat. That's why we'll dive into the topic of needs with today's guest, Valentina Ciobanu, Public Policy Vice President at CT Romania, a Romanian NGO representing Romanian youth on the national and international level. Who are needs and what are the factors behind their situation? Listen to this podcast to find out more. But first off, Valentina, let's get to know you. Of course. So, first of all, thank you for having me here. I'm uh, very happy to have the opportunity to talk with you on your podcast. I am Valentina Ciobanu. I am from Romania, Vice President uh, on Public Policy of the Romanian Youth Council. And uh, to tell you a little bit about my background, I am a law student, passionate about uh, democracy, youth participation, and um, also employment policy for youth, including uh, this topic of uh, how to basically improve the lives of uh, neat youth. And um, if I were to mention a few of my hobbies, <laughs> to be honest, uh, uh, in this work of mine, uh, given that I do everything with such passion, I feel like uh, even my work is uh, a little bit of a hobby and uh, even some pleasure for me. Uh, but other than that, uh, I like uh, walks in nature and I really like cats. So yes, those are also my hobbies. Thanks, Valentina. So I see on your social media accounts that you're internationally active. Could you please describe, based on what you've seen going on in your country or other ones as well, who are needs and how many needs are there in your area? Mm -hmm. uh, of course. So I can talk a little bit uh, about both uh, Romania and uh, the Republic of uh, Moldova. I have um, actually held a training quite recently about uh, need policy in um, Moldova and uh, also in Romania. And uh, to give you a brief um, description on how the situation is, uh, well, pretty much both of these countries are uh, on the top of uh, the biggest percentage of uh, NEET uh, youth in Europe. In uh, Romania, one in five uh, young people between uh, 16 and 25 years old are uh, NEET. And uh, to explain you a little bit about what is a NEET youth, uh, um, a young person that is in this uh, NEET category is uh, neither in education, employment or training. Um, meaning that um, they are not uh, working neither on their education, neither in uh, the work field. And um, um, for example, we have at the European level this um, youth guarantee program, which uh, has proven to be very effective in uh, tackling the youth, uh, the neat youth issues across Europe. But unfortunately, in our country, in Romania, this uh, has been uh, implemented uh, very badly. Um, meaning that um, we don't really have uh, results in this area. According to the European Commission's report, uh, we don't um, register any progress whatsoever so far in this area because um, if I were to mention one uh, very important flaw that uh, has been um, 
going on with this program in our country, in uh, Romania. I think uh, one of the key issues here was that uh, the civil society was uh, not uh, included in uh, this implementation and in the uh, whole planning of this uh, program to be implemented at the national level. And I think this is also a very important factor when we're talking about NIT youth. Uh, because NGOs, the civil society, the local community is uh, often um, the one that's most close uh, to these young people. So uh, if we're not working with them, uh, basically we can have uh, any public policy, but it will not reach its full impact if we don't actually work um, on the local, on the grassroots level with these young people. So I think uh, this is uh, a brief description that I want to mention right now. Big numbers, actually. Thank you for bringing them up. But what is the background behind the situation? What makes one become a NEET? Uh, I think it's a multitude of factors uh, coming from um, discrimination that uh, young people face in a, a more dimensional level, like we're talking about their intersectionality, we're talking about their diversity, and um, all of these different factors that uh, actually create uh, disadvantaged youth, unfortunately, in our society. And I think, uh, yes, it could be very well also a factor, the current work culture that we're facing right now, and the fact that this work culture isn't really appropriate for what young people uh, want from um, their workplaces. So uh, it could be from uh, their economic status, it could be from their... Uh, social communities that uh, they are in, for example, um, especially when you don't really have uh, that many opportunities around you, when you don't really have a supportive community to push you into finishing your education, into getting a job that's um, fitted and adequate for your uh, wishes and your competencies. So it can be very easy for a young person at the very beginning of their career or uh, that is actually still in a uh, primary basic education to fall into this uh, neat uh, uh, youth category. And um, I think it's uh, also from uh, the fact that um, even the employers don't uh, really uh, support young people into acceding into their uh, careers because uh, you know how it is. Uh, all the uh, employers seem to want um, very much experience from young people. Uh, to have uh, these very high standards for young people, but at the same time, uh, don't really offer the benefits fitted for these standards that are imposing on young people. So that's why uh, uh, some of them may be also choosing uh, to not work for quite a while until um, they finally find an opportunity that's adequate for them and their needs and uh, uh, the competencies that uh, they have. Um, so I think we should uh, really work on a structural level from uh, the very grassroots of um, um, the young people, the people that surround them from the communities for them to be more supportive and um, also work on uh, our mentality towards this issue because um, I think it's very hard to only expect uh, young people to kind of uh, take themselves out of this situation, especially when we're talking about neat youth, where there is a very high probability that a young person that uh, once became neat to actually relapse into being a neat youth, even when uh, you actually manage to get them into education or training. Uh, so we also need uh, to work on this support that we offer to young people and 
not only from um, our policies, from uh, the state, which are obviously very important and crucial into uh, kind of lowering this percentage that is very alarming of uh, neat youth, uh, but uh, also uh, work on the way that uh, maybe companies, maybe NGOs, maybe all of these important factors work with uh, young people. Uh, so uh, I need to, um, I think we need to tackle all of these layers that are impacting uh, young people and um, helping uh, them to uh, get out of this stage of being not in education, not in training, not in employment uh, to actually fix this issue. Because without this uh, synchronicity between all of these layers and all of these important stakeholders, I think um, the problem will actually be present at all times and not uh, sustainably and uh, effectively solved ever, if you ask me. Thank you, Valentina, for now. And as always, let's go around Europe. We're moving west to Portugal to hear from Miguel Fontes, Portuguese Secretary of State for Labour. What defines needs? Can they even be defined? Eu acho que é muito difícil nós generalizarmos e, portanto, não há uma única condição que os defina. E, como lhe digo, é provável que encontremos jovens que, por exemplo, acabaram a sua licenciatura ou mesmo o mestrado e que neste momento... It's challenging to generalize which young people these are. There is no single condition that defines them. We'll likely find young people who, for example, have finished their bachelor's or master's degrees and are now taking a break because they don't see themselves in the chosen area or it isn't what they want to do. But it's also natural to assume that many of them, according to various sociological studies, are young people who are socially more vulnerable, more excluded, who left school too early and who find it difficult to believe in the education and training system. They are also young people who embrace a life of odd jobs, in which they are working now but then stop working, not in a formal and established relationship with social security deductions, but very much based on the informal economy. We must accept that all these profiles characterize young needs. Presuposto aceitarmos que todas estas realidades, todos estes perfis, são o que caracteriza os jovens nitos. From Portugal back to Romania and Valentina and me here in Slovenia. Now, in my home country, for example, some minorities can be found stuck in the need position more likely than others. For example, youth from the Roma minority. Do you see trends of minorities being exposed to not being a part of education, employment or training in Romania as well? And which ones? Uh, yes, of course. We also have um, a very big um, a very big problem uh, with these disparities between communities and even between uh, the two the genders that uh, young people have. For example, um, uh, the percentage of uh, neat young women in Romania is like um, almost twice bigger than the percentage of uh, young men that are uh, in the situation of being neat. And I think uh, also being a minority, especially the Roma minority, which is the bigger, the biggest minority in Europe, but at the same time, one of the most neglected, I might say, it's uh, a very important factor that uh, decides uh, these kind of opportunities that uh, young people get. And um, it's actually a contributing factor to being neat because we don't... Uh, really adapt our policies from uh, what I experienced it 
from what I experienced uh, to what each minority and each um, category of um, young people in uh, all their diversity needs. Because um, especially when we talk about uh, need youth, uh, need youth are very diverse and um, each of these characteristics of these young people, each of these discriminatory, discriminatory factors that uh, they unfortunately face uh, need to be tackled um, like um, adequately and um, actually um, differentiated. Like you don't need to uh, take the problem on a general level, but uh, dig deeper and uh, assess each of these uh, problems individually to actually solve it. So yes, I think um, uh, being part of uh, some minority groups, being um, a victim to discrimination of any type of is uh, a very much a contributing factor to getting into this uh, situation, to becoming a neat youth. Thank you, Valentina. And moving on to our second stop today, which is Belgium, where journalists of RTBF, the Belgian public broadcaster, talk to Matteo, who describes what it is like to knock on doors which are not accessible to everyone, as he puts it. Me, honestly, today, I don't know where I am. I don't really know who I am yet. Like, I'm bad, I'm not good. But nevertheless, I say to myself, honestly, you still have plenty of open doors, and it's hard to open them. But there are people for whom they are triple locked. So in truth, sometimes I blame myself a little. I say to myself, you have the skills, you have a family that helps you, you have friends, you really have everything, you see? And yet, yet I'm not moving forward. And here I am, I do not feel good, I don't understand. I'm completely lost and it's frustrating, really. It is very frustrating. And we're back with Valentina. Let's try to find solutions today as well, if you agree. I would say that youth nowadays is inclusive when it comes to education and age, for example. It doesn't matter how old one is. If somebody decides to continue their studies, they'd be accepted into groups of younger students without a stigma attached to them. The digitalization of the educational system during and after COVID also brought new opportunities. Would you say that this is a part of the solution to include more young people into the schooling system and the market afterward? Uh, yes, I think we may have uh, some advantages, but uh, at the same time, uh, when we're talking about digital opportunities, we also need to keep in mind that uh, there are still many young people across uh, Europe and not only that don't really have access, access to the digital arena because uh, uh, whether they don't have uh, the infrastructure, all the digital competencies to actually um make use of this opportunity that we have uh, digitally but um, yes i think that uh, we have some means to uh, tackle the need issue better because of uh, the digital opportunity that we have because of uh, this culture that um, uh, young people start to create and uh, actually put into practice more and more for example from what i can see in my generation we became uh, much more vocal towards um, combating this um, toxic work culture, like working a nine to five at the office 
and um, not really caring about your work and not really making an impact to your work. And uh, I think this is a very big factor that uh, can actually lead to a future where uh, there won't be as many young people in the situation of not being in education and uh, not in training or employment. So I think, um, yes, for for sure, it's a work in progress, but I think that we as a generation have uh, a much stronger voice to actually make these issues known and uh, actively work towards uh, uh, solving them. So I think uh, there's a kind of um, a growing ten tendency for um, we ourselves to create this space for um, us and for the other young people around us to have a better, um, you know, access to education and access to work. So, yeah, I see a light at the end of the tunnel at the moment. Thank you very much, Valentina. I have three more short personal questions for our listeners to get to know you better. And many of my interviewees said that these are the toughest. So I hope you're ready. What's your favorite memory? Oh, my favorite memory. That's a very tough question. <laughs> uh, but I think uh, one of my favorite memories is actually a quite uh, recent one. Uh, when... Um, I uh, got the opportunity to be a speaker in the World Forum for Democracy and uh, the life, the universe, the coincidence actually allowed me to enjoy this opportunity with a very dear person of uh, mine that uh, has been to that event and actually has been uh, right next to me when uh, I was um, holding that nerve-wracking speech. Uh, so I think, uh, yes, that's one of my uh, dearest dearest memories yet because uh, it has been very nice to have a dear person next to me at that moment when I was really nervous. And your worst fear? My worst fear, I think uh, it's a common fear for many young people at the moment. And I think it's the fear of uh, failure because... Um, you know, especially being an activist, you put a lot of responsibility on your back um, towards you, towards yourself, towards the uh, society, towards everyone around you. And I think um, one of my biggest fears is the fear of failure and uh, disappointing everyone and um, actually not contributing with anything to making the world a better place to put it in the large picture, you know, and maybe even making it worse. Who knows? So yeah, that's my fear. What is your biggest wish? Hmm, my biggest wish, I think uh, it's also related to my work as uh, an activist. My biggest wish, I think, is uh, for uh, everyone around us to kind of... Um, become, of course, uh, with our help and uh, through our work, more conscious of uh, what our responsibility is towards uh, each of us, towards each other, towards the environment, the society, the, you know, public institution, democracy and all of that. Because I think that if everyone become more conscious of uh, the impact that they can have or uh, the impact that they can have if they don't take actions, the world will be such a better place and we will live in such more lively and sustainable and healthier democracies and i think um with this everything would just uh, flow smoothly in a better direction so i think uh, yes that would be my biggest wish to everyone to become more aware of what is happening around them and to actually take responsibility and take actions 
against uh, the against the issues that uh, they care about. Thank you very much, Valentina. And thank you all for your attention. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and listen to what we have to say because Europe is us. Lisboa, Brussels, Berlin, Warsaw.